Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. Now, we said that Luke shows Jesus as the perfect man. He is the one who is able to be mankind's substitute, mankind's sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. He is the one who has come to give his life as a ransom. Now, last time we looked at the background. We saw the author, the date, and the purpose of the book. For the next several weeks, as we study this, we're going to meet two people used by God, and both are visited by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel comes with a message. He's sometimes called the messenger angel. He comes from God dealing, and he tells them that he's come from God, and he's telling them about a son, our sons they're going to have. We meet a man named Zacharias, who's a priest, and we meet Mary, the young woman. Both receive promises dealing with a son that will be born. This morning, and the focus as we study this section verses 5 through 25 the focus is on Zacharias and it's about his promise he's the old priest he's come to fulfill his duty at the temple and we want to be excited as we see this passage we see God bringing his plan together working all things to bring his plan together to bring us eternal life so there's some great things there well let's begin how, how good is a promise I mean you could say I, I promise you I'll be there I promise you I'll do that I promise you I will help How good is a promise? Well, the truth is, we realize that a promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. I mean, the truth is, when we make a promise, we cannot guarantee that we'll keep our promises. Number one is, we don't always do what we say. We say, I'll be there, but we don't always do that. Because when the time comes, you say, I'll come help you. When the time comes, you say, I don't want to go help, but I'm not going to go. And so sometimes we don't do what we say. Sometimes we're just not able to do what we promise. It's just circumstances are beyond our control. We just can't do it. Now understand this though, that when God makes a promise, he always keeps his promise. Really two things about it. First of all, he can't lie. Whatever he says he does, Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, God who cannot lie promised eternal life. So he can't lie. So whatever he says, he does. And then there's a second great thing about God, that he always is able to do what he promises. Because he's all-powerful. Romans chapter 4, Abraham said Abraham was convinced that God was able to do whatever he had promised. So it's a great truth that when God makes a promise, when you see a promise in God's Word, one that pertains to you especially, you can say, first of all, God doesn't lie. So whatever he says is true. Second is he's always able to do what he says. This morning and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that God makes promises to two people about two sons who will be born. One is Zachary. Zacharias, he comes to Zacharias and says, you're going to have a son named John. Then he comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a son named Jesus. And these two sons change the world. One, of course, is called John. We call him John the Baptist. He's the forerunner of the Messiah. He goes before the Savior of the world. The other one is Jesus. He's the Messiah and the Savior. It's so much that we can be thankful to God that not only is he able to keep his promises, but he always, also, always keeps his promises. So not only is he able to do it, but he does it. Well, let's begin. Let's get to remind ourselves where we are. Last time we got the background of the Gospel of Luke. It was written by Luke. He was a doctor, and he was a companion of Paul. He wrote two books, Luke and Acts. They go together. In fact, the scrolls that they have found in, in all the manuscripts, the Gospel of Luke and the, and the book of Acts, sometimes are on the same scroll. So it, he wrote it probably about the same time. Most believe around 62 A.D., he wrote this to a man named Theophilus. The man's name, Theophilus, means lover of God. Obviously, he was a, it says, excellent Theophilus in verse 3. So maybe he was a, a wealthy man or a man of influence. And Luke writes to him, and, and, and he writes for a twofold reason. We saw this last week. 
The first one was to give an orderly account to Theophilus about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He said, he said to him, he said, I, I wanted to write this down in, in basically in consecutive order, in excellent order, so that you would understand it. So he says, Theophilus, I wrote this to you so you could know about the things that you believe about Jesus, so you could understand it. Then there's a second reason that he wrote the book, and that is to show Jesus as the perfect man, the sacrifice and substitute for the sin of mankind, and he came to deal with our sins. And so the idea there is to show us who Jesus really is, and it's very, very powerful. This morning, we're going to see two key people. Actually, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see two key people, one this morning and and one next next week, two sons, two promises about these sons. Today, I think the first one we'll see, I think we've got this, is Zacharias. He's going to have a son named John, and then we're going to see Mary. Her son is Jesus, and we'll see those in the next couple of weeks. Well, let's see how this fits. Now, we begin by getting a little background on the man named John the Baptist. Now, everybody knows John the Baptist. They talk about John the Baptist is the one. He's the one went before Jesus, and he was baptizing people, telling them to get ready for the Messiah. Well, who is this? How does all this fit? Well, Luke says, I want to make sure you understand everything, Theophilus, so I'm going to give you background. I'm not just going to tell you about John. I'm going to tell you about his family. I'm going to give you the background of what God is doing, how God is working all of these things. So we get that. We're going to meet John the Baptist's mother and father. His father was a priest. We'll see how it fits together. Luke begins by giving us historical background. Now, this is not a story. Now, we, it's, a sto- it's a true story. In fact, you just imagine back that this happened about 2,000 years ago. Just go back and say, okay, 2,000 years ago, this actually happened. We're reading the Bible, not a story, but a true event that has been recorded. Well, let's see what happens. Look at verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, I told you last week that as much as possible, I'll try to give you background, put things together for you, because as you would go through this, you know, if you just read it, you'll say, well, who is Herod, and what does he mean, division of Abijah, and how does all that fit? So we want to put it together for you. Who was this? It starts off, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Well, there was a man, his name was Herod. Uh, he, he called himself Herod the Great, so throughout history he's called Herod the Great. He was appointed by the Roman government to rule over the area that we know as Israel. Now, the Romans had taken over the world and had brought peace to the world. They called it Pax Romanus because they had defeated all the enemies. And, and so in the region of the world, which, which we call Israel, they put a man by the name of Herod. He called himself Herod the Great. And they named him ruler of that area. And so he was called king of, of, of Judea, that root region. Now, he was famous for a lot of things. First of all, he was famous because he was a very powerful man, but he was also a very cruel man. And people knew that you did not deal with King Herod. You had to be very careful. He was a builder. He built a temple. He took up 40-something years. He came in there, and he took the temple that the Jews had, and in order to, to get on the good side of the Jews since he was ruling over them, he actually took the temple that had been built some 500 years earlier and made it huge, big, elaborate. So some of the Jewish people said, you know, Herod's all right. And then others would say, no, he's not all right. He built our temple, but he's not all right. He also built Masada, which is uh, a place today that uh, the Jewish people, when the soldiers, the soldiers are sworn in on Masada, it was his summer home. He built a palace at Caesarea. He is famous for buildings. He's also famous for killing his sons. He was a paranoid man, and that as some of his sons would get older, and he had a number of sons, he thought, okay, what if this son tries to take my throne? So he killed him. 
He was famous for that. And he's also the one that you know about in the Bible that killed all the babies when Jesus was born and that King Herod came and killed all those little boy babies. This is the guy. This is the guy. He ruled in the region from about 37 B.C. to about 4 to 5 B.C. Now, at that time, Herod was ruling over the Jewish people. And to be real honest with you, they hated him. But most people hated him. Of course, the Jews hated most anybody that ruled over them. They wanted their freedom. They had been subjugated from the time that God allowed the Assyrians to come in, then the Babylonians, and then the Medo-Persians, and the Greco-Macedonians, and now the Romans. So it's nation after nation who rules over the Israeli people. Notice what we find. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias. Now, the name Zacharias means God remembers. That's what the name means. And we're going to see that God remembers his promise. Because going all the way back to Adam and Eve, the seed of woman is going to come crush the head of the serpent. The seed of Abraham will be the Messiah. The son of David will be this Messiah. And now God is going to remember that promise. And so what is he going to do? He says there was this priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And you go, well, what do you mean division of Abijah? See, to be a priest, first of all, you had to be of the tribe of Levi, and then you had to be a descendant of Aaron. That's priesthood. Now, division of Abijah, you may not remember this. We didn't really talk about it very much. When David was king, and, you know, we just finished studying uh, the, the life of Saul, the life of David, and the life of Solomon. When David was king, he took the priest, and he divided all of the priests into 24 groups, 24 divisions. They would come to the temple twice a year for a week. So if you were a priest, you lived in one of the 48 cities in Israel. But but twice a year, a week at a time, you would come to the temple. You would stay at the temple for one week when it was your division. They were 24 divisions. When it was your division, you came and you served for a week. Then you went back home. Then when it came back around for your division, you came from your house. You went up to the temple and you stayed there. He was of the division of Abijah. Now, if you go to First Chronicles 24, verse 10, uh, that was the eighth division. In fact, list all, all of the 24 divisions in First Chronicles. He had a wife. Notice, he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, he had a wife that's also a descendant of and so she was from the tribe of Levi. She was from the priestly family. So we meet this couple. We say, what a great couple. Here they are. I mean, here's this. here, here they are. And he's a, a priest. Wow. Well, notice verse 6. Powerful. They were both righteous in the sight of God. Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. It said they were righteous in the sight of God. When it says righteous, don't, don't think that, that that means, well, they didn't sin. No, they sinned. When it says they were righteous, that means that they were believers. See, by faith, by faith, faith in the coming Messiah for them, by us was faith in Jesus Christ, they're made righteous. The Bible says... That anyone who believes will get the righteousness of God. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Romans 4 or 5 says, He who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Every one of us in this room, when you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God gives you his righteousness. And that's why it says they were righteous in the sight of God. And every one of you in this room who have trusted in Christ as Savior, and I hope that's every one of you, you're righteous in the sight of God. Righteousness comes by faith. Notice how they lived. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that they never sinned or broke any of the laws or the commandments. There were 613 commandments. 
and and uh, they sinned. But when it says to be blameless, walking blamelessly, it means that under the Mosaic law, when you sinned, there was provision to deal with sin. And so they constantly were in fellowship. They constantly did what they were supposed to do. They lived out who they were, believers in the coming Messiah. And they lived godly lives. Now, that's what we're supposed to do. See, by faith in Jesus Christ, we're children of God. We're made righteous. We're supposed to live out who we are. As we go into, we, we come together and then we scatter out. And as we go all over this community, we're to be godly people. We're to live righteously. We're to, we're to be blameless in a sense. When people see us, they say, you know, they're different. Ephesians 4.1, we're to walk worthy of the calling which we've been called. We're called children of God. We're called blameless. We're called righteous. We're to live righteously. Well, we say, well, this is really great. Aren't they sweet people? They are sweet people. But there's a sad part here. Notice. Verse 7. They had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. See, it says they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. Now, in that day and time, sometimes people thought that if you didn't have a child, it was a sign that God wasn't blessing you. That's what some people thought. And so when a woman didn't have a baby, she said, oh, I'm a disgrace. Oh, I, I've, I've, uh, I, I'm, things are not good. Why don't you have children? Well, somehow I must have done something wrong. That's what some people thought. You could say, well, don't worry about it. You're still young. No, they're not young. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. It's past the time. Now, you know what? They had been, you can't tell it here, but they had been praying for years for a son. Zacharias would say, I just, I would just love to have a son to, to be a priest too, to carry on after me, I, you know, and, but they had prayed and prayed and nothing ever happened. And sometimes we pray and pray and nothing ever happens. And we think, how come it's not ever happening? And, you know, sometimes people say, well, God, he doesn't answer prayers. Yes, he does. He answers every prayer. Sometimes they're yes. Sometimes they're no. And sometimes they're wait. And in this case, we're going to see that it's just wait. Just wait. Well, what happens? Big day. Special day. Look at verse 8. Now, it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division. It happens, he's going to tell us this event, he's performing his priestly service. Now, it's his time for his division to come. 24 different divisions, it's his time, and so he's coming up there to spend a week at the temple. You can see him saying to Elizabeth, okay, I'll be back in a week, it's my turn to go up there. And so he goes up there, and all the ones that are connected with the division of Abijah, he knows them all. They spent their life two times a year coming together to serve God at the temple. So when he got there, he's, he's seeing all his priestly friends. And they serve God. And it's not an easy job. It's all day long. There was one priest. He got up early in the morning before the sun came up. And he got up on the top of the temple. And he had a certain place he would wait. And as soon as he saw the sun just come to one little place that he he blew the trumpet. And they opened the doors. Everything's ready. They they blew it. And then all the priests had different jobs that they did. People came in constantly all day long. And they did all this. And they had these different sacrifices. So it was not an easy week. And he's an older Man, so he's up there, and and you know he's probably thinking, you know, I wonder how many more years I have left to serve. You just never know how long I'm going to be alive. So it says it happened that while he's performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, here's what happened: 
according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So let me tell you what they did. There were certain things they did all day long. There were two different sacrifices. There was one called the morning sacrifice, which was happened at 9 in the morning. There was an evening sacrifice that happened at 3 in the afternoon. And when they got there, they had certain things they had to do. And so they cast lots. And one person, a lot fell, and they said, okay, you, you light the fire. He had to go light the fire. Another guy said, okay, you, you go do the, do the sacrifice. There was a third lot that fell, and it fell on Zacharias, and he was the one to get to go into the temple and burn incense at the altar of incense. Now, you can only get to do that one time in your life, one time. Obviously, Zacharias never got to do it before. His time hadn't come up yet. But if anybody else, if they had ever been into the temple to do that, they didn't get to get cast the lots for that because they'd already had their turn. So here's Zacharias, and he's probably thinking that day, you know, I wonder if I'm ever going to get to go in there. And what do you know that day? It lands on him, and he goes, you're kidding me. This is, this is the greatest day of my life because this is the high point of being a priest. Not being the high priest. The high priest could go in the back room, but just a regular priest, this is it. I think we've got a picture of the, temp, of the temple. Remember, there's the out front altar, and then you go into the front room, which is called the holy place, and there's the altar of incense. There's the bread on one side, the, the uh, bread and the, and the lamps uh, uh, on, you know, on both sides, but in the middle was the altar of incense, and it was an altar, and they had to take in the coals, and they had to put incense on it, and smoke would come up, and it was very special. And you got to do that one time in your life if it happened to be your time. Because some people went their whole life and they never got to go in there. And this is the day Zacharias gets to go. Let me tell you what they would do. When he got the third lot, there were two helpers that would help him. There would one guy that had the coals. He would go get these burning coals that were real hot and had them in a pan. The other guy had this little thing of incense, and then Zacharias was by himself. And then they all three walked into that room, and the one had the coals would go put the coals on the altar of incense. The other guy would hand Zacharias the incense, and then they would leave. And he's in there by himself. And he's waiting for a signal out front. All the people are out there waiting. And the guy's going to wait and he's going to go. <laughs> and he's going to pour the incense on top of the coals. And the smoke is going to go up. And everybody's going to be happy. He's standing there. Looking for the signal. Watch what happens. Verse 10 says, and the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside. Wow. Outside in the hour of the incense offering. So everybody's out there. All the people have gathered. They know what's going on. They've watched, you know, the people are all standing around the big altar thing. They're all watching it. They know when the priest has gone in there. They're waiting for the signal. What happened? Zechariah is saying, this is the greatest day of my life. I don't want to mess up. This is my big day. He didn't know how big a day it really was going to be. Because, see, there had been a lot of priests twice a day, three o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in, uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, to go in there and do this. This is his one time. But even though there had been a lot of priests go in there, he's going to be the one in which the angel comes to talk to him. Look what happens. Verse 11. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Now, what would you do? You're standing there waiting for the signal. 
And all of a sudden, you see this being standing by the right of the altar of incense. Now, angels are powerful beings, and they scare people. If an angel... Well, let me tell you, the angels are in this room now. They haven't made their presence known. Angels are spirit beings. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says, They are servants of those who inherit salvation. They're your servants. They're sent by God. They're probably good angels and bad angels in this room, even right now. Just can't see them. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, stand at the right of the altar of incense. There are really two kind of angels that uh, they're good angels. We, we call them good angels. Uh, the, the Greek word is angelos, which means a messenger, and that we, they transliterate it angels, and they serve God. There are some, what we call bad angels or fallen angels. Sometimes they're called demons. There's two groups of angels, some that rebelled against God, knowing that they started with the one named Lucifer, who is the son of the morning. He led a rebellion. There are a couple of other, other angels that have names. Michael is sometimes called the archangel. He seems to be the leader angel, the fighter angel. We don't know. And then there's Gabriel which we're going to see in this passage, he's sometimes known as the messenger angel because whenever we see him, he's bringing a message to mankind from God. So that's what we think about. He's appeared. And this is the first revelation from God to man in 400 years. See, the last messenger was the message who gave to Malachi. 400 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, the last message which we look at the Bible and we say, okay, that's the prophet Malachi. There's not been any revelation for 400 years. In fact, some of the people have probably said, you know, I don't think God talks to us anymore other than what we already got. And you could say, well, that's probably enough. Well, okay, yeah, but he hasn't talked to us. Suddenly, this day... This priest is getting revelation from God from an angel. Watch what happens. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. Now that's natural because angels are so powerful. And look what the angel says. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. Now the angel says don't be afraid because people are afraid because they're such powerful beings. You remember we talked about this that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian troops in one night. So angels are very powerful beings. And so when that angel appeared, Zacharias was afraid. And the angel said, don't be afraid. Literally in the Greek it says, stop being afraid, Zacharias. Your petition has been heard. What petition? The prayer that he'd been praying. What had he been praying for? Best we can tell, they've been praying for a son for all these years. So what does the angel say? Don't be afraid, Zacharias. Your petition has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're going to name him John. Now, I want you to know, we can't tell it here. We'll be able to tell it later on toward the end of the chapter that nobody in his family was named John. And what a lot of times, the father would sometimes name the son after him or he would name him after a close relative. But this angel says, no, you're not going to name him anybody else in your family. Nobody else in your family is named John. You're going to name him John. Very powerful. Realize that God answers prayer. They've been waiting for a long time. That's why Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Let them be made known. Sometimes he's going to say yes. And sometimes he's going to say no. And that's an answered prayer too. We just don't always think of it as an answered prayer. We say, I asked for that and he didn't give it to me. No, no. You asked for something, he answered your prayers just different than you thought. Because see, we don't know what to ask for. Let's face it. 
If your child came up to you and said, I want cookies every meal, you'd say, no. And you'd say, well, you just don't give me what I want. Yeah, I just know what's best for you. And sometimes we come to God and say, God, I want this, I want this, I want this. And he says, no. And you say, well, you just don't give me what I want. I just want to give you what's best for you. Just what's best for you. And so there's an answered prayer here. Your prayer has been answered. Your petition has been heard. You're going to bear a son. Your wife is going to bear a son, and you're going to call him John. Now, there's six things that stand out about him, and we're going to see them very quickly. Look at the first one. Uh, I think we got them right here. There'll be joy and gladness. It's verse 14. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Boy, when this baby is born, when you have this child, Zacharias and Elizabeth are going to be so happy. They will, but there'll be happiness at others because it says, and many will rejoice at his birth. You know why? He's the forerunner of the Messiah. There's a second thing in verse 15. It says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, he's going to do great things for God. Now, let me tell you something. There are a lot of people who want to be great in the sight of men. They want to be great in the sight of men. They want to be famous. They want people to think they're great. Let me tell you something. You, you should want to be great in the sight of the Lord. That's so much better than people thinking you're great. Just it'd be one day when you stand before your Savior and he says, well done. That's what you want. That's what you want. How can you do it? Be a faithful servant of the Lord. That's what John the Baptist is going to be. John's going to be a faithful servant of the Lord. He says, God, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm not even worthy to take off his shoes. I am just a faithful servant. That's all he ended up being. And Jesus said, of all human beings, he's the greatest on earth. John the Baptist, this man right here. So he'll be great. There'll be a third thing. He will drink no wine or liquor. Notice what it says. And he will drink no wine or liquor. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, there was a vow that Jewish people could take. It was called a Nazarite vow. Now, don't get it confused because Nazarene means somebody from Nazareth. But Nazarite was a vow. And a vow that some people could go and say, I'm going to take a Nazarite vow. And what they did is they, they there were three parts of it. You could not cut your hair. You could not drink anything with, from grapes, wine, anything like that. And you couldn't touch a dead body. Samson was a Nazarite. John the Baptist is going to be a Nazarite from his birth. Now, normally a Nazarite vow, a person took it for a certain period of time, 30 days, 60 days, 100 days, or any days they wanted to list. And at the end of their vow, they would go into the temple, shave their hair off, burn their hair and offer a sacrifice. Then they could go back and do whatever they normally did. It symbolized your life being set apart for God. He says he's not going to drink any wine or liquor. Right then, Zacharias knew, oh, you mean he's going to be a Nazarite? Yes. Now, we can be set apart because we can offer our lives as living sacrifices and we'll be set apart for God as well. There's a fourth thing. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit from in the womb. That's incredible. It says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Now, in that day and time, I want you to understand... Before the day of Pentecost and the beginning of the church, the Holy Spirit did not permanently indwell every believer. In fact, there were believers that the Holy Spirit might come upon them for a while and then leave them for a while. When David was king of Israel, the Holy Spirit came upon him. When he sinned with Bathsheba, he wrote one of the Psalms, 51, and he says, Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. He was afraid he was going to lose the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon people for service. The Holy Spirit's coming upon John even when he's a baby in the womb. There's a fifth thing. 
He would turn the people back to God. Look at verse 16. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. That's his plan. Turn them back. He wanted to tell them about the Messiah. Both Malachi and Isaiah say that they would be the one who would go and get the people ready. And then the last thing, verse 17, I think, says he will go before him, before the Messiah. Look at verse 17. It is he who will go as the forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient to the attitude of righteousness. So make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is the one that the Old Testament talked about in Malachi that would go before the Messiah. This is the one, Isaiah chapter 40, that said that there would be a voice of one crying in the wilderness, getting the people ready for the Messiah. This son is that fulfillment. Promises 600, 700 years earlier about to come true right there. And can you imagine your Zacharias? And you're standing there and this angel... Now, by the way, he's standing there going... What are the people out there doing? The guy's going, I've given him the signal. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. All the people are going, what is he doing in there? In fact, they may think, you don't suppose he died while he was in there. Because anytime you go into the holy place and, and you're going in the presence of God, I mean, what could happen? So they don't know what's happening. He's standing there, and and Zacharias is getting all this information. There'll be joy at his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll be a Nazarite. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll turn the nation back to the Lord. He'll be the forerunner of the Messiah. You know, sometimes things seem almost too good to be true, don't they? I mean, we we hear that you have eternal life by faith, and it's forever. And once you trust in Jesus Christ, you're saved and saved forever. And it's not what you do or try to do. It's just a gift. Some people say, well, that's too easy. That's too good to be true. It's it's really good, but it's not too good to be true because it is true. Notice his response. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife has advanced in years. Do you know what he's saying? I don't really know if this is true or not. How am I going to really know this is true? He's not believing the angel. You know what he's really wanting? How am I going to know this is true? Give me some kind of sign. So what does the angel say? The angel answered and said to him, "Uh, by the way, do you know who I am? That's what he's saying. I am Gabriel. Who stands in the presence of God. Do you remember Daniel? You remember the angel that went and talked to Daniel? Well, that's to me. I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He's saying, listen, do you know who I am? I'm Gabriel. I'm not playing around. And then what does he say? I've been sent to bring you this good news. By the way, we get to go out of here and we get to give people the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. Well, look what happens. And behold, look what he says to him. You shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. He said, because you didn't believe me, guess what? You can't talk. Best we can tell when you get over to verse 62, he couldn't talk and he may not could have heard. He's mute. In fact, the, the Greek word there could have implied not only could he not speak, but he couldn't hear. When you get over to verse 62, they're having to make signs, you know, and he, he obviously can't hear or speak. He wanted a sign, he got a sign. Verse 21, the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. Can you see the people? They go, what is going on? Notice, when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision of the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Can you imagine him coming out and some of the priests going up to him, what have you been doing in there? And they go, what, what happened to you? He, he must have seen a vision. He can't talk. 
all the people were wondering. They kept, they realized he had seen this vision. So verse 23 says, when the days of his priestly service ended, he went back home. And the week was over and he went home. Could you imagine going home and seeing Elizabeth and going, Yeah, I get to talk. <laughs> he told her, he probably wrote it down because uh, he writes later on some things as well. It goes on in verse 24 and says, After these days, Elizabeth's wife became pregnant. The older woman, she became pregnant. She kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace. See, she's saying it was a disgrace to me to not have children. And now in my old age, God has shown favor to me. And it's going to give me a child. And I think he's told her. In fact, we're going to see later on when, when the baby is born, Elizabeth knows everything about it. She knows he's the forerunner of the Messiah. She knows his name's going to be John. She knows everything about it. So obviously he wrote these things down. What have we seen this morning? Zacharias is a priest. He comes to serve. He's chosen to burn incense. It's the biggest day of his life. It's even bigger than he thought because Gabriel comes and tells him he's going to have a son who will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And he doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it. By the way, next week, when the angel comes to Mary and he tells her, not not you're going to have a forerunner of the Messiah, you're going to have the Messiah. And she doesn't go, I don't believe this. She says, just tell me how it's going to happen. She believes. Well, he goes home as Zacharias goes home and tells Elizabeth somehow. Well, let me give you some applications. We'll go very quickly. Understand that God is in control of all things. All events, all circumstances. He's the sovereign God. He's working in all things. We see him bringing his promises to pass. So what do we do since he's in control? Rest him. Rest in him. Trust in him. Know that he is the sovereign one. He is working all things according to the counsel of his will. B, take him at his word. Go back to the scripture and say, God is in control. This is his word. I'm going to trust him. Zacharias didn't trust him. When, when the angel said, this is from God, I've been sent from God to give you this message, he went, how do I know this is true? Okay. Trust God. Second application, lift up our prayer request to God. Lift them up. Zacharias had been praying for years for a son, and there's answered. And sometimes God says yes to our prayer. Sometimes he says no. And sometimes he said, just keep waiting. It's going to be at the right time. So be men and women of prayer. Third, Fulfill God's plan for your life, for your lives. Just just John the Baptist had a plan for his life. God sent him apart to be the forerunner of the Messiah. God has given every one of us in this room gifts, talents, abilities to fulfill God's plan for our lives. That's why you offer your life as a living sacrifice and say to God, God, take me and use me. Listen, be great in the sight of the Lord. Don't worry about being great in the sight of people. Be great in the sight of the Lord. And last but not least, this is the fun one. Proclaim the good news message of salvation. Just like the angel said, I've come to give you this good news. We got a good news message as well. And that is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he died on the cross. That he paid for sin. That he rose again. And whoever would believe in him would not perish. But have everlasting life. You get to be with God forever and ever and ever. Not based on what you do but based on what Jesus has done. May we trust our great God. May we offer our prayers to him. May we serve him, proclaiming the good news of salvation, fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Help us, Lord, to understand you are in control. We trust you. May we lift up our request to you because you answer prayers. May we use our lives, gifts, talents, and abilities to fulfill whatever purpose you have for us. May we be great in your sight. 
And Lord, thank you for giving us the privilege of taking the good news message of salvation into this community. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.